the ROI that you have on these types of projects are not great. And it's very tough because for every dollar that I'm spending on a project like this for construction, that's a dollar I'm taking away from actually providing that healthcare service to an actual individual. So we have to balance that very closely to see exactly where the best payoff will be for those types of projects. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition hosted by Smart Energy Decisions' own Deborah Channel. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, Deborah digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. I'm your host, Deborah Channel, and today we are continuing our Heard at NZF series on Smart Energy Voices. Heard at NZF is a mini-series of live interviews we did with energy customers at various stages of their decarbonization strategies, and now all that took place at our recent Net Zero Forum. In this episode, we're sharing multiple interviews with energy customers in the healthcare space. Today, you'll be hearing from Scott Chubkowski. National Director, Energy and Facility Performance at Medexcel Facilities Management, and Corey Pulliott, Senior Director of Facilities Operation at BMC Brockton Behavioral Health Center. So let's begin with Scott Chubkowski. Welcome back to our special series of Smart Energy Voices at the Smart Energy Decisions Net Zero Forum. We're conducting live interviews with energy customers at various stages of their decarbonization strategies. In this episode, we are joined by Scott Chubkowski, National Director of Energy and Facility Performance at Medexcel Facilities Management. Scott, welcome. Thanks for being here with us. And just introduce yourself, a brief description of Medexcel and your role. Thank you, Deborah, for the opportunity to participate in such a great discussion. My role with Medexcel is National Energy and Facility Performance Director. I get to work with a great team of six engineers that have experience everywhere from industrial engineering to electrical engineering to mechanical engineering. And we're divided in, our team is divided into three different work segments. One is everything from the supply meter upstream, which includes renewables. One segment is our demand side business that has to do with solution sets and energy efficiency. And then we bring our junior engineers into the facility performance side of the business. So they learn about facilities, they work with metrics, they work with Energy Star, and they work with the building automation system. And our main focus within our organization is we support the Environmental Impact Office of a very large nonprofit organization. I love the training aspect of that. Is that unusual? I haven't heard too much about that before. Well, when we look for engineers, we really look for people that have innovative ideas, are excited about the industry, and we bring them in to the facility performance side where they can really understand how a facility works, the technology in a facility, what metrics run, how we relate to system dynamics, and it really helps get them ingrained into the process and understand what they signed up for in their careers. That's a great start for them. I really like that program. Okay, so we're going to start a quick word association. What do you think of when you hear the phrase net zero? I think it's a journey and not a race. Interesting. So where is MedExcel in terms of that journey? We are three years into the journey. We set our goal three years ago, working with our customers 50% reduction of greenhouse gas by 2030 with net zero by 2040. And at this point, we've just completed our third year in the process. We are still doing data organization analytics, trying to organize what our greenhouse gas footprint looks like. But we had a mini sprint 
over the last three years, and it was a 5% reduction. We just wanted to squeeze the portfolio and see if we could get 5% reduction in greenhouse gas, and we achieved that goal. Yeah, we hear that a lot, the interim goals, really, and it's a shot in the arm in a way. It's like, okay, we were on the right track. We know we can do this. So that's very interesting. I like that. So three years in, what's been the biggest challenge in figuring all this out? Probably the biggest challenge we've had is trying to understand the data. We control over 7,000 utility bills per month across 21 states, across 1,700 properties. And it's really aggregating that data, trying to understand how utilities are inputting the data, working with our vendors and trying to understand, are we being charged for basis as well as being charged for the commodity that's coming through and we're double counting that. So that's been a big challenge. Another big challenge for us is trying to find industry partners and trying to find consultants and engineers that are willing to apply new technologies to problems that we're trying to solve. And probably another issue we're having is the available technologies that are out there. How do we get access to them at a reasonable market rate? How do we get them implemented and tested to make sure that they're what we want for long term? I'm sure the energy customers who are listening to this are nodding their heads like, yeah, we have that problem too. (laughs) So again, so we've talked a little bit about the challenges. What's been the biggest surprise? The biggest surprise is there are some golden nuggets out there. There are some solution sets that are reasonable. There are some solution sets that work well. Electrifying, moving scope one solutions to scope two, we take that on as an opportunity, not as a challenge. And we're starting to see the benefits of it. As we move those solutions from scope one to scope two, we're realizing that they're simpler solutions. So we apply the KISS principle, keep it simple. And we also apply the right size principle that if we can right size those electrical solutions, they actually turn out to be better than a scope one traditional solution. Okay. Yeah. So you're the data guy for sure. And interestingly, I want to, you're going to be presenting at the Net Zero Forum and your session is called Using Data Analytics to Drive Sustainable Business Decisions. And I know you're opening your session with a prop. Tell us about that. I am. It's a Fortune magazine from August of 2004. So it's 19 years old. I remember getting that magazine been practicing in the energy conservation business for about 10 years at the point time. And the title of the magazine is The Oil Crisis. And it had to do with uh, what's going on. Oil had just hit $44 a barrel. And I had two young daughters at home at the time and a third one on the way. And I said, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? I got anxious about the world. I got anxious about my career. I still keep that magazine on my desktop. And I refreshed it when I was preparing for this conference to look at analytics, right? Back then, it said, Hey, oil's $44 a barrel. The world's going to end. Well, we pay over $90 now. Back then, it predicted that we were going to use 28 million barrels per day of oil. We only use 20 million barrels. Back then, it predicted that we were going to have 20 to 10% of our solar or our energy produced in solar renewable. It's over 20% already. So it was a great opportunity to reflect on analytics, how we use it. Probably the key catalyst with that article is it, it motivated me to learn more and to develop my career. And it took me to the Caribbean. It took me to Switzerland to work. It took me to other countries in Western Europe. It took me up to Canada. It opened up a lot of doors for me by just you know reading one article and getting anxious about the future. Oh, interesting source of inspiration. Anxiety. That's a good motivator. <laughs> All right. So thinking more about data, there's a wealth of data available. Your point is it's not always being used in the most efficient and effective way. So what are some of the first steps that you would advise your peers to take in making database decisions, which is so important, you know, when setting and meeting your energy and sustainability goals? For data, I think the thing is you have to believe the data, right? It's where did you get the data from? Who agrees that the data is correct? Who owns the data? 
the more data that we use that is owned and vetted by the finance department, the more successful we are in creating a business case. So when we look at data points, we really drill it down to the component, to the site, to the person that owns it. We may even go back and look for the actual invoices from vendors to make sure those are real numbers. We'll also go backwards to historical trends. What can we pull from the historical trend and understand where we are in that cycle? We do a lot of work with facility condition assessments. We look at deferred maintenance costs. We look at operational costs. We're down to even, can we get a reduction in insurance if we change the technology from like a high-pressure steam to an electric solution? And is there availability to free up some dollars in that area? So the decisions that you're making are all across the board based on what you're finding as you validate the data and figure out what it's telling you. Simple as that. They are. And, you know, it's a team approach, right? It's, it's just not the energy team. It's, it's finance. It's treasury. It's compliance. It's the operational people. It's the maintenance people. It's HR. It's the chemical provider for the water quality. It really encompasses the entire team to pull out every cost associated with an asset that we want to upgrade into a decarbonization strategy. And that's a language, if you've got the data, that's a language that they all speak. I mean, all those different departments have different priorities, but if you're showing them numbers and you're showing them analytics, that would make sense to everybody. Yes, yeah, no, and and it's really who owns it and who's willing to stand behind it. Right. (laughs) All right, well, that's a good point of view. I like that. So I just want to end now with just a general question, thinking about the state of clean energy today. What's the biggest challenge and what's the biggest opportunity going forward? I think the biggest challenge for us is what I mentioned earlier, is to really get the consulting and the engineering community engaged. We know solutions are out there that can solve these problems, but I think our partners in the engineering and technology think that there's a risk, right? I don't want to be the first one that installs it. I don't want to be the person that made the mistake. And we need to overcome that and realize it's a partnership between the owners and the consulting community and really mitigate that risk on both sides. As far as opportunities, there are great products coming out. How do we get access to those products? How do we understand how to apply those products? How do we measure the benefit of it? Because, you know, I look at when we electrify steam systems, you know, everyone probably says on the surface, oh my goodness, your demand's going to go up in that building. You're going to pay a ton of money to do that. We're not finding that. We're finding when we electrify steam solutions, we really have to look at, are we right-sizing them? Are we applying them correctly? Have we got rid of all the waste in the system? So when we apply them, we really get the benefit from them. One example I'll give you is we ended up doing an electrified steam solution in a hospital in Florida. We thought we were going to save 38% on natural gas and we were going to keep our electrical bill at par. We ended up saving over 50% on our natural gas bill and the electrical bill went down 8% just because we got rid of all the steam losses, all the thermal loads that were going through a building and operated more efficiently. So we're seeing the benefits of these great technologies and fuel switching and equipment that's out there to help us. Sounds great. Well, you are definitely a busy guy. (laughs) We thank you very much for giving us your time today. Scott, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Deborah. And now let's hear from Corey Pulliott. Corey Pulliott, you are here to accept Boston Medical Center's DEI Impact Award for the Brockton Behavioral Health Center. Tell us about that project. Sure. So the Brockton Behavioral Health Center opened in October of 22 this past October. And the building is an 82 beds behavioral health facility, which also does clinical stabilization, which is more of a rehab beyond the psychiatric help. And it originally started out as a conventional building. And through our efforts and through a very generous gift, 
we were able to convert the building into a net zero building is where we're at today. And it was a very challenging project. The building, like I said, was going to start conventional with your typical air handlers, chillers, boilers. But through the, again, through that gift, we were able to move forward with heat pumps and the geothermal system that we eventually ended up putting in. And was it the gift contingent on it being a net zero facility or did that, was the decision made to use the money in that way? The donor came to Boston Medical Center because Boston Medical Center has a very strong history of sustainability efforts. Well, that's one of the things we're known for in the healthcare industry. And the donor came to us specifically wanting to do a donation to a sustainability-based project. And, you know, we were looking at what we currently had in the pipeline, and this was a building that we were working on. And we had brought up the opportunity that this could be an, an option that they could look at, realizing that it would be a substantial gift. You know, it kind of fell in line with where this project was going to need to take us to that next level. So that's and it's interesting in the nomination form for the award, it, w- it talked about the emphasis in DEI and climate justice that was built into the center's creation. So that was certainly the money facilitated that. Is that some a direction, as you say, that the medical center was trying to go in before? Yeah, we're always looking to use the most efficient and cost effective methods when we're doing construction and renovations or any new projects. Unfortunately, with the most geothermal systems today, the ROI that you have on these types of projects are not great. You know, and it's very tough because for every dollar that I'm spending on a project like this for construction, that's a dollar I'm taking away from actually providing that healthcare service to an actual individual. So we have to balance that very closely to see exactly where the best payoff will be for those types of projects. That is a tough decision for sure, but an irresponsibly made one, I'm guessing. Yes. Okay. And part of this is, you know, this is to help the community. So I want to know what's the response been of the community to both the sustainability and DEI aspects of the health center? How are are they being made aware of that? And is that central to the mission? Yes. During the original permitting and we'd taken the building over, the building was basically bought at auction and the neighbors were actually glad to see something was happening with the facility. And through the open communication and permitting process within the city, you know, a lot of the neighbors and a lot of the people from the community came in to find out exactly what was going on. And a lot of folks are not, I won't say not welcoming, but have some concerns if you tell them you're putting a behavioral health hospital in their backyard. But as we start explaining to them how the system works, and we're also having this clinical support session there for helping people with recovering addiction problems. They definitely saw the need because it's more of an urgency within our state, across the country, actually, to have a need. And having that in their backyard actually was a plus for them in the long run. So we received almost very little to no pushback from the community by putting them in the location. Mm -hmm. That's great. So back to the sustainability aspect. It's a net zero facility. It runs off renewable energy, including solar panels and the geothermal walls. How were those techniques decided on, you know, that technology? So we reviewed all the available technologies when we were looking at the space, and there was a lot of different ways we could look at putting the systems in place to meet the needs of the building, to heat and cool the building. Ultimately, though, the geothermal made the best and most practical sense for us for a myriad of reasons. When we coupled the geothermal with the heat pumps, we have had, honestly, we've had tremendous results with that space. It's actually performed much better than we ever anticipated. We're beating all of the projections we did for energy consumption for the building. So for every KW that we're not putting into the building, we're able to put that back out to the grid. Mm-hmm. It's impressive. Very good. And are there future plans for more sustainability improvements or projects within the building? 
Well, this building was a complete gut and redo. So we pretty much covered everything we can do in this building. We, you know, the heavily insulated walls and envelope of the building, the geothermal, the heat pump construction, as well as the PV. We also have a battery storage in there for the after hours operations of the facility. There's not really much left to do on that site. <laughs> but lessons learned from that, we are looking to bring those technologies onto our main campus back to Boston for some projects. Again, I'm not saying they will happen, but we are looking at them because of the results that we've achieved. Right. You've got a great example right within the system. Well, congratulations on the award and best of luck moving forward. Thank you. Many thanks to Scott Chubkowski and Corey Pulliott. And we look forward to watching your journeys as you move forward. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for tuning into this podcast and being part of Smart Energy Decisions. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn about how you can become part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, like the Net Zero Forum, just click on the link in the show notes for more information. We're honored to have this opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition. We do that in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. 